Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 243 of Yogaland. Today my guest is Marcia Mercier. Marcia lives in North London, she teaches yoga there, and online she teaches yoga for breast cancer. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Marcia and I have in common that we are both breast cancer survivors, and so because of that, I think she has a very keen ability to hold space. She's also done a yoga for cancer-specific training, so she employs the knowledge and the ability to research to her teaching as well. One thing that's really fantastic about what Marcia is doing right now is she's teaching yoga for breast cancer online. She wanted to start teaching yoga for breast cancer during the pandemic, but guess what? Nobody was teaching in person. I mean, many of us are still not teaching in person. So she decided to go forth and create a system where she felt like she could safely get to know people and screen people ahead of time so that she could teach this yoga for breast cancer class online. And I say many times in the interview, I just think this is a brilliant system and really inspiring because for anyone who is going through cancer treatment, either active treatment or just after treatment, it can be really hard to get your butt out the door again when you've just come back from chemotherapy to get to a yoga class. And it can be really hard to just add another task outside of the home to your day. So the idea of all of these people being able to be under her care and her guidance and have some community and have just a guided way to move their bodies and get into their breath makes me really happy. So she's going to share more details about that. And I also just wanted to, before we get into the interview, share some of my thoughts about mammography. I very rarely take a stand on medical issues. I'm not a doctor and I rarely think that's my place. But as a breast cancer survivor, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a moment and I'm going to encourage all of the women I know out there to start getting their annual mammograms starting at age 40. One of the things that I notice in my current primary care practice is that they leave it a little murky and say it's an individual decision, it's up to you and your doctor, which quite frankly scares me. And you may be saying to yourself, well, Andrea's biased, you know, she was diagnosed early and that's really rare and mammograms don't really do anything. And while it is not as common to be diagnosed in your 40s, it is also not uncommon. So I'm going to share a little bit of data with you because I think data always helps us make decisions. And so I want to first say that the American Cancer Society and the American College of Radiology both recommend starting your screenings at age 40 and having annual screenings. Part of the current climate of questioning whether or not screenings are should be should start at age 40 in the US at least comes from the US Preventative Task Force and they back in 2011 came out with a recommendation that women get screened starting at age 50 and that high risk women and if you're a high risk woman that would mean you would know that you have a BRCA genetic mutation BRCA1 or BRCA2 or you have a close relative who's had breast cancer so for high-risk women, the task force recommended screening starting at age 40, but every other year. So why then do the American Cancer Society and other institutions 
disagree with this. One reason they disagree with this is for the simple fact that 75 to 90% of breast cancers that are diagnosed are what's called sporadic cancers. They are not cancers where women were in high-risk groups. I am one of those women. I don't have, I have 16 first cousins. I have lots of aunts and uncles. Obviously, my mother, my sister, my grandmothers, none of them had breast cancer, and yet I was diagnosed while I was nursing at age 42. And I, I'm clearly in the, I'm not in the minority. 75 to 90% of breast cancer is diagnosed in women without risk factors, okay? In addition, screening women in their 40s results in a 15% mortality reduction, and this is according to a meta-analysis of eight individual trials. I'll put links to all of this data in the show notes couple more things I would like to share. One is that more often than I would like, I hear a trope that the rate of breast cancer mortality hasn't changed. And this is really an exaggeration. It's incredibly frustrating that cancer still exists, any kind of cancer. It's incredibly frustrating that it's not easy to cure and that, that people still die from cancer and that women die from breast cancer. But saying that mammograms don't do anything it's just not true. So here is a statistic to support that. For about 50 years prior to 1990, death rates from breast cancer were unchanged. With the advent of screening mammography in the U.S. around 1985, the breast cancer diagnosis death rate has declined more than 30% since 1990. That's a lot, more than 30%. So while there are still women who will unfortunately be diagnosed with aggressive cancers that are not cured no matter how early they are found. There are also plenty of women who have less aggressive cancers, and if they are found early, they have a better chance of survival. I'm going to share one more thing with you, and that is that Marcia mentions that she found her lump herself, and I did too. And it is true that women often find their lump before it's detected in a screening. I mean, she and I were young, so we hadn't been screened yet. But I think it's absolutely important to kind of get to know your body and your breasts and to make sure you are checking yourself as often as you can remember. I also think wanted to just add that when women find their own lump the average size is about two centimeters. That's kind of when you tend to feel it and find it. Whereas mammograms detect changes in the breasts at a, a microscopic level. So yes, those two things hand in hand are a really good toolkit for you to have. And I will stop there. And again, I'll put those links in the show notes for you. And I hope you enjoy the interview with Marcia. Hi, Marcia. It's so nice to have you here today. I'm excited to talk to you. Hi, Andrea. I'm really pleased to be here. Thanks for asking me. Yeah. So we are both breast cancer survivors. I am, let's see, I am seven years out from a diagnosis and you are 23 years. Three. Is that That's right. Three. Yes. That's amazing. That's amazing. So you were diagnosed pretty young then. I'm wondering if you can, I know you were young and I know that you had young children as I did. I had a young child when I was diagnosed too. Yeah. I'm wondering if you could walk us through your story of your, of, of getting diagnosed and what you, what you went through. 
So I was 32 when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So try not to do the maths. <laughs> try not to work out how old I am now. But yes, I mean, I was I was a younger woman with breast cancer. And yeah, I guess I didn't really, I wasn't really concerned when I, I found a lump myself. I found it in the crease of my right breast and didn't really sort of think much about it because it was because of the positioning of where it was I wasn't overly concerned and also because Mm. of my age I didn't kind of rush off to the doctor immediately but as time went on I noticed that it was growing a little bit bigger and I thought I ought to go and have it checked out so I went along to the GP she checked it out thought very unlikely to be breast cancer because of my age but sent me to the the breast consultant just to be sure I had all the various tests, the fine needle aspiration, the ultrasound. Mm-hmm. Um, um, unfortunately, the results came back as suspicious. So um, I needed to have a section of my breast taken away so that I had a wide, what they call a wide local excision, where I had a segment of the breast removed and it was then analysed and they diagnosed me with ductal carcinoma in situ, which is called DCIS. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a non-invasive type of breast cancer that is maintained within the, the milk duct. However, they didn't get clear margins around that area. So I was then offered a mastectomy, <laughs> which was the last thing I really wanted to be thinking about mm-hmm. um, as a younger woman. But I needed to get rid of the ductal carcinoma in situ. I needed to get clear margins. And the best result that I was going to get was by having mastectomy. So I opted to have that. And I had an immediate reconstruction with a saline implant at the time, um, Mm -hmm. which was an expandable one. So for me at the time, it was really important that I actually had an immediate reconstruction and woke up from surgery with something that did resemble a breast of some shape or form. Mm-hmm, um, so in a, in a nutshell, that was my diagnosis. Yeah, it was a shock um, to have it at such a young age. But then since then, I've learned that actually in the UK, around about 20% of breast cancers are in women under the age of 50. So I guess during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, October, I mean, it should, ha- should be all year round really, but you know, it's really important that women of all ages are aware of any changes in their breasts so that they can act upon those changes quickly. I'm really happy that you brought this up because my impression is that in the UK, mammograms are not suggested until age 50. Is that correct? Um, it's around about the age of 50. It's some In some areas of the country, it's from the age of 47. Um, okay. So depending on the part of the country you, can, you live in, yes, it's around about 47 upwards. Yeah. And in the US there's been a lot of back and forth. I mean, when I was diagnosed, uh, I was 42. No, wait, was I? Yeah, I was 42 when I was diagnosed. Sorry, I was getting confused of when I was pregnant and then when I was diagnosed. Yeah. And then, and at that time, the US Preventative Task Force recommendation had changed from age 40 to age 50. And so there was a ton of confusion uh, and controversy. And now I, I actually don't know what it is now because obviously I've been getting so many mammograms in the last seven mm. years, but I think it might be, they might've gone back to 42 or something like that. Anyway, it's super murky and I think it causes a lot of confusion for people. And I've actually written to my GP. I'm, I'm part of a kind of a big network in the U S called one medical group. And 
for my primary care. And I've written to them and said, I do not agree with your guidelines. And I don't think that they are, that they make sense because of the statistics that you cited. It's similar in the U S and most hospitals that are national cancer centers, like UCSF, where I was treated, the radiologists there recommend mammograms at age 40. So I know it's just a controversial topic for people and mm, yeah. I don't tend to take pretty like take massive stands on things that I think are people's personal choice but this is something that I I personally say publicly please ask your provider if you can get a mammogram starting at age 40. And like you said you were even younger than that. So yeah, as you said so- it's also important to be to have an awareness of of changes in your breasts and to to mm to do self exams. Yeah. But it, it it's yeah. also important to get that support from, from the healthcare system itself. Right. Um, because, and all, the other thing for people to know is that often women who are diagnosed younger tend to be diagnosed with more aggressive cancers. You and I were not in that category, but that is, that is statistically the case. So. Yeah. 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 It, it, that's that's the thing. I mean, my understanding of not giving mammograms to younger women is that their breast tissue is more dense. Mm-hmm. So it's harder to actually pick up any abnormalities in a younger woman's breast tissue than it is in a in a in an older woman's breast tissue. That's my understanding. But I I you know, uh, that's my little bit of knowledge there. Um, yeah, but I think uh, with and, the 3D, I think with the 3D mammograms that we have here, at least, that's very, that's much oh, less okay. so than it used to be. Right. It's yeah, right. the tomography is like incredibly Different. sensitive. Okay, um, that's interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it's, but as you as you say, it's just you know the most important thing is I think most breast lumps are actually found by you know the individual themselves so I think you know breast awareness generally is is kind of the most important thing you know and and noticing uh, you know the changes in your breast through your monthly cycle as well so you know Mm -hmm. most breast changes will be normal and they will Mm -hmm. be part of your monthly cycle but it's you know when that breast change doesn't go away you know that's the time to just get it checked out yeah I didn't I wasn't aware so you were so you were diagnosed with like you said ductal Carcinoma Institute DCIS, yes. which uh, you know is sometimes referred to here as stage zero. I didn't realize that you could feel that that, that there was the potential to actually feel DCIS. That's really good to know mm. that that if you feel something, it it could still not be invasive. But yeah, yeah I mean, I I was able to feel, and I you know I had a, about a centimeter, a kind of a pea sized lump that it was about a centimeter wide. But it's unusual. Yeah. I mean, the rest of the DCIS was spread throughout my breast, which I actually mm-hmm. couldn't feel. I could only mm-hmm. feel one part of it. So that's why I ended up having to have the mastectomy because it was spread right. throughout the breast. And then once they did remove the breast, they did find that some of it had become invasive. So oh, wow. I was I was really pleased that I'd opted for that choice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I did know that because I had a little bit of a similar thing, LCIS in addition to my invasive tumor and it can it's interesting it can spread in the ducts like you said very widely like it can take up a lot of the breast tissue which so for in your case you know ended up meaning that you needed the mastectomy which I, I yeah anyway I just think people wouldn't wouldn't think about that 
So how was the recovery process for you from that surgery? That's a big surgery. Yeah, so I had two lots of surgery. The first lot was, it was bad enough, the first with a wide local mm-hmm. excision because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I still had wounds to heal. I also had two little children, age two and four. You know, it's very hard not to be able to pick up the two-year-old or, or cuddle the children close because you feel very fragile. You know, you're still waiting for everything to settle and heal. So the first the first surgery, you know, was was hard enough. But then soon enough after that, probably a couple of weeks after that, I, I then had to have the mastectomy. So that was, you know, another ball game in itself. You know, having the having the implants, having a more major surgery, having some lymph nodes removed, and then having the recovery from that. Yeah, I had to be really patient with my body. I had to be really patient with myself and. Yeah, let people help. Let people help and take care of me and take care of the children. <laughs> right. So yes, but I, you know, once I'd probably got over, say, the four-week milestone after the after the um, the mastectomy, I was feeling a lot more mobile. And I suppose after the six weeks, I started driving. I was going back to doing the kind of school run. But yeah, I mean, it it takes its toll. But fortunately for me. I didn't need to have any radiotherapy because I'd had all the breast tissue removed. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to have chemotherapy because I didn't have any lymphatic invasion. And because mm-hmm. there was such a small percentage of invasive cancer. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I didn't have to have any ongoing treatment other than the fact I took tamoxifen. Oh, you did. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So I did take tamoxifen and, uh, yeah, that was that was actually okay. It wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. I didn't have. I, I know people do experience menopausal symptoms on on tamoxifen, but I actually was okay on it. Oh, that's good. That's so good. I didn't have a bad experience on that. Yeah, but the most frustrating part for me was was really not being able to get on with my life and, and right. get on with looking after the children. And I found it really frustrating, you know, just not being able to do stuff I wanted to do. But right, right. Yeah. How did you find? yoga in this process were you already doing yoga or did you start after the cancer diagnosis so I wasn't doing yoga no I I I, I wasn't a yoga practitioner at all so it was when I started it was a few weeks after my recovery from the surgery and you know trying to get life back on track and get back into the routine that I realized that it was I was finding it really difficult to move on after my breast cancer diagnosis and surgery and everything and I it really took me by surprise I just felt um I felt really tearful I felt angry I felt uh, there were so many mixed emotions going on you know I felt that I'd had this huge interruption in my life and I just wanted to get on with it and now I had the chance to get on with it why was I feeling like this (laughs) you know but I think um I've since learned that it's quite normal to feel like this you know being a diagnosed with cancer is a traumatic experience and your body Mm -hmm. experiences trauma whether that's physical trauma or mental and emotional trauma it's a Mm -hmm. traumatic experience and it was my body trying to process that trauma so I went along to the GP and she said I can refer you for some counseling if you want to see a counsellor and I sort of undenied and thought actually no I'll leave leave that for a moment I'm going to you know, try some other stuff and uh, mm-hmm. thought, actually, I'm going to just go off and try yoga. So I, I went off to my first yoga class and that was it. I felt there was just something about that yoga class that really resonated for me. And, and you I started, felt, you found it at the gym, right? So what kind of yoga class? Yeah, was it? 
it was Iyenga actually. Uh, oh, she lucked out. <laughs> I, I was a, yeah, I was a member of this gym and yeah, just went along to this yoga class. And it was, and I, I don't. It, oh, sorry, I just want to inject one thing. I don't mean to yeah. say that gym yoga is inherently that yeah. bad, but at that time in 1998, it it would have tended to be more of an active. You know, I, I'm just saying you were mm. fortunate in the sense that after a surgery that you found, yes, um, that I found you know, something like Iyengar, yes, right, a more methodical, yeah. slower yes. pace, mm-hmm. and it was a really good. I mean, it was a really good introduction to yoga because it was so precise. And I really loved all the detail. Mm. I loved mm-hmm. all the alignment focus. Um, yeah. I loved the fact that the teachers were actually quite strict. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that really helped me. Um, it probably gave I, you a structure and something to hook your mind into. It did. And it yeah. also reminded me a bit of my ballet teacher. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I was a child, I did some ballet and I, and you know, I, I actually... Yeah, it reminded me of that. And I I liked that. You know, I liked the fact that I was doing something for me. I was taking control of my body. I was getting strong and it was very methodical. So, yeah, I was. I then sort of went back twice a week while my child, my little one was at nursery. I'd rush back to the gym and rush back and pick him up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, that oh, hour and nice. a half that I had on my mat was just was my sanctuary. And that's what really helped me come to terms and just get over the the breast cancer. Yeah, yeah. So having having had that experience, I then carried it on. Um, I you know I haven't stopped practicing yoga since. I mean, I've changed styles of yoga, but that you know that's a really good introduction. Um, that's amazing. Yoga. Yeah. And when did you start teaching yoga for breast cancer? Not that long ago, to be honest with you. I mean, I've, uh-huh. I've been a yoga a yoga teacher for several years now, but I did the training at the start of I think my uh, 2020 so really not that long ago January 2020 and I was planning on launching my yoga for breast cancer classes you know face to face and then the pandemic happened so I paused that for a bit I thought okay I'll just wait I'll wait for this pandemic to be over you know thinking it was going to be over in a you know a couple of months or so and then time went on I thought this is crazy I've got to you know, I've got to get going with this yoga for breast cancer. I've got to find a way of doing it. If I can't mm. do it face to face, I'm going to do it online. So oh. I decided that that's what I was going to do. And so last October, Breast Cancer Awareness Month for last year, I launched my classes. That's so amazing. Yeah. And here you are a year later on Yoga Land. Talking and here about I am a year later. <laughs> Who'd have known it? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. So when you did your training, the, I know you did your initial yoga teacher training, and then you did a specialized yoga for cancer training. What were kind of the things that you took away from that training that you felt like, yeah, this really resonates with me and this makes sense. And this is why I want to teach, you know, for this specific population. I think as time went on after I did my initial teacher training, my 200 hour teacher training, as time went on as I, and I, I was teaching, I thought, actually, you know, I really want to be longer term. I want to be doing something. I mean, I love, you know, teaching vinyasa in the classes that I teach, but I want to be doing something a little bit more therapeutic. And so I always knew I wanted to go more into the sort of therapeutic side of yoga. And, mm-hmm. and then I heard about these, this yoga for cancer teacher training at Tri-Yoga in London and I thought yes this is it this is what I've been waiting for you know it just completely yeah. made sense the fact that 
I'd come to yoga through my own experience of cancer. I could then specialize, um, do this specialized teacher training to teach yoga to cancer patients. I thought, yeah, this is it. This is what I'm meant mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's that's what brought me to do it in the first place. And yeah, it was a 50-hour teacher training. And it taught me so much. It taught me the science behind yoga, mm-hmm. the science behind how yoga can actually help alleviate side effects of of cancer treatment Mm -hmm. so you know you're not necessarily you know we're not changing the way we're not changing the poses particularly I mean clearly you know I guess it's just understanding how certain poses can really help treat certain side effects of cancer treatment right absolutely like there are just specific things that have been studied that so many people who've gone through treatment and and any kind of treatment, any stage of treatment experience, like for me, the one that really jumps out is the fatigue. Just There's just so much fatigue from the diagnosis process, from the stress of it, from the surgeries themselves. And then add on yeah. to that people who I went through radiation, I like you did not have to go to chemo through chemo. So mm. there's just so many levels, but really wherever... Yes you are, you, you're going to feel that fatigue. I remember a nurse saying to me after I got through my really active treatment, you are going to be really fatigued and you have to just move through it every day. You have to get out of bed and you have to mm-hmm. walk as much mm-hmm. as possible and you have to move your body because that is what's going to keep you Absolutely. healthy. Yeah. And even though yeah. I, I had this active yoga practice, having someone say that to me was really important. So yeah, I I can see that for a, for anybody going through treatment that that would be just one example. Yeah. Oh, um, totally. Fatigue fatigue is one of the the most common side effects of of cancer treatment, and mm-hmm. I mean that's something you know that a lot of my students really do suffer from. But mm-hmm. the answer to fatigue is not necessarily rest. You know, right. it, as you say, as you say, it's moving the body, it's exercising, but in a gentle way, and that's where yoga can really help you know just these yoga for breast cancer classes can really help you know just moving the body in time with the breath can really help to just energize the body draw in fresh energy just stimulate the blood flow stimulate the lymphatic flow and just draw fresh energy into the body um, and make you feel energized so that's one of the side effects that it can treat and I and, and I find that Patients who or, or students who are experiencing radiotherapy tend to be more tired when they're going through radiotherapy than chemotherapy, interestingly enough. That's mm, what I found just with, with the small group that I teach. Mm-hmm. Um, I think may, maybe it's because it's, uh, you know, radiotherapy is daily and you, you're going, you know, five days a week for maybe three weeks, you know. So it's, you know, it's pretty intense. Or, and it usually follows chemotherapy, so maybe it's a build-up effect of um, right. of, of of the whole treatment program. Right. I don't know, but it's just a, a yeah, just an in- interesting observation. Um, it's strange. I had um, my two-year-old was a terrible sleeper, <laughs> so I was so you know people would see me and say like, Oh, are you so tired from the treatment and everything? I would say, I have no idea. I'm just, I've been so exhausted for so long. I had no, it was like no different than any other day. (laughs) And I think for me, I also knew it was 
I was getting toward the end of the active treatment. So it was like, I was just so grateful to be seeing the light at the end of the tunnel that I really didn't, I don't remember having that much trouble. It was, it was really once I started tamoxifen that I felt just wrecked and it could have been, like you said, it actually could have just been the timing, right? That it could, that it was the end of sort of the active treatment. Um, and my Mm. body finally could let go a little bit, but Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Sophia was only two, was she, when you were diagnosed? Is that is that right? Yeah. She, she was two. Oh, she was nursing. Yeah. I know. She was nursing, oh. and I I found it while she was nursing because her head kind of she fell asleep on me, and she her head kind of moved in this weird position that hurt, and yeah, that's that's when I found it. Um, and I, I like you was... just didn't believe that that's what it was. I thought it was mastitis again. I had a lot of mastitis. So block ducts from the uh, from lactation, and I just yeah. thought there's just no way, there's no way. I don't have a family history, and still relatively young and active, yeah. and I so. But I'm so grateful that. Well, you're so that, yes, it's so good that you were still breastfeeding at the time, and that you yeah. know that was your way of discovering it. Um, yeah, it's kind of wild. I kind of mm. can't wrap my my head around mm. it sometimes. Had I not been nursing or you know I mean I probably would have gotten my mammogram soon but like I said there was a lot of confusion here in the states especially at that time about when you should get a mammogram and so yeah I don't know that I would have gotten it and I part of the reason I put it off is because I was lactating so I knew yeah. that that I, they wouldn't definitely wouldn't get a good good image no. but yeah it, it was it was pretty pretty oh, wow. wild yeah yeah so when you you mentioned that like you said it's not th- when you're teaching, it's not that you're necessarily modifying all of the poses, although I'm sure there are some that you, ideas that oh, you have, yes. but, but yeah. what is kind of your overall feel of the class or what's the approach? What kind of class is it? Okay. So I'll take you through kind of a, an example of the kind of structure of the class. So it's an hour long class online and um, we'll start, we'll start the practice almost in Shavasana. So, you know, we'll mm-hmm. be They'll be lying down or sitting in a cross-leg position, taking five minutes just to check in, notice how they're feeling in their body that particular day, noticing the physical body, notice how they're feeling energetically, mentally, emotionally, and and really just observing how their yoga practice can serve them on that particular day. We'll then start off with some uh, breath awareness. So I might get them to rest their hands on their abdomen and take some diaphragmatic breaths. So nice, long, deep breaths into the belly, really expanding it and, and, and just stimulating that kind of rest and digest part of the nervous system, allowing the body to calm and just arrive on their mat. Then we'll work through some warm-ups. We'll start to mobilize the joints, mobilize the hips and the feet and the ankles and the, you know, the, the spine. So just maybe doing some supine warm-ups. We'll then come to do some cat and cow, you know, general warm-ups on the mat. And then when we come to our standing sequence, I always start the practice off with some half sun salutations because I think they're a really great way of just mm-hmm. getting some energy into the body, getting the breath, the rhythm of the breath flowing with the movement. So no traditional sun salutations with there's no, we don't do any planks, no chaturangas, no downward facing dogs, because that's way too much at this stage in, in, in the practice. So, yeah, lots of different variations of sun salutations and then work through some standing poses. So we might be doing, say, warrior two, flowing in and out of warrior two with some um, arm movement. So the the idea behind the practice is that I really want to 
generate the circulation by moving and flowing with the breath. I then want to build strength in the lower limbs. So build strength in, in those big muscles in the legs that the, you know, the, the, the quads and the, and, and the, glute, mm-hmm. the glutes, those big muscles that waste. If you're not moving around a lot, if you're not doing in your usual routine, those tend to you know, become weaker through lack of activity. So we're really focusing on building strength in the lower body. And then really trying to mobilize the upper body as well. So trying to build back range of motion in the upper body, in the chest area, the armpit area, moving all the time with awareness. So it's really important for me to know a little bit of medical background uh, before I start teaching the students in an, in an online setting mm-hmm. so actually I'll come back to that in a minute so the rest of the class will then you know will then sort of focus on some sort of maybe standing standing balances uh, to build bone strength so tree pose different um, versions of standing balances and then calm it all down with some nice restorative poses and a final relaxation in shavasana and then maybe I might read them a poem or take them through a guided meditation um, this sounds so, like you know the best class on the planet. <laughs> I want to go to this class every time I do yoga. Like just listening to your voice is making oh. me feel so happy. <laughs> Seriously, oh, this is to you. me just what yoga is. Like I, it's just I, I, I can tell I'm getting older because when I go to studios now, it's just it's like it's too fast, it's too loud. Mm. There's too much mm. music. I just mm. want a really, really basic, basic. Yeah foundational coming back to why you know the way that this practice works so that sounds lovely exactly I mean you know really that's that's at the end of the day that's what yoga is all about you know and yoga is about knowing what you need on any given day you know Mm -hmm. and and your practice may change you know you don't Mm -hmm. you know when you're going through different life stages if you're going through you know, breast cancer, you know, even if you're a seasoned yoga practitioner, your yoga practice is going to change. And it's knowing and accepting that it will change and letting it, you know, letting it serve you, (laughs) not feeling like you're a slave to your practice. Oh, I always Mm -hmm. do this particular practice, therefore I need to keep doing it, you know, Mm -hmm. change it and adapt. And so I'm always sort of reinforcing to my students that they need to listen to their body they need to listen to their breath they are responsible you know for their safety um, Mm -hmm. because I'm only seeing them on online on a flat screen and really not to kind of overdo it so Mm -hmm. you know there's always the option to rest in child whenever they want to there's always um, the option to ease out of a pose never push through pain always you know ease out of it and use the breath you know the breath is their most powerful tool and you can you know you can find that amazing stretch and that amazing space in the body just by using the breath so they don't need to kind of get themselves contorted into various <laughs> different you know positions it's it's all about the breath and you know the awareness of the body with the breath so that's that that gives you uh, you know an example of the the structure of the class that I will teach online Obviously, you know, teaching teaching yoga student uh, breast cancer students online, you know, mm-hmm. does have its risks because they're at sure. their most vulnerable. I've never met them face to face. I don't know their bodies, so I've had to kind of put in strategies to try and kind of sort of address that. So, the way I approach my teaching is that, first of all, I, I do I, I I tend to recruit a lot of my students through Instagram believe it or not (laughs) Um, okay um, so that's That's great um, yeah it's a really good I found it a really really good medium 
so a, a lot of them do come to me through through Instagram and also through a couple of breast cancer charities that I've partnered with as well. But before I actually teach them in the group setting, I will I'll arrange a phone call with them and I'll speak to them. I'll, I'll take down a bit of their medical history just so that I understand what stage in their treatment they're at, what side they've had their surgery on. So mm-hmm. you know, I need to know whether they've had it on the right or the left side, if they've had a reconstruction. And, and then if so, what type of reconstruction? Have they had a, a silicon implant or have they had it, you know, have they had a reconstruction from another part of their body you know that's really Mm -hmm. important that I know that because it's not only their breast area that might be vulnerable there's another part of their body you know (laughs) maybe their lower abdomen maybe their inner thighs that where you know that that might you know they might need to be careful about and I might need to be aware of so I I chat through that on the phone and then I arrange to do a one-to-one private lesson with them on zoom great and we do that for an hour and we can just chat and they can give me feedback as to, you know, what's feeling okay in their body, what's not, any issues that they might have. So that's so important. I just think that's, that's so important to do. Yeah. I think that is such a smart, I mean, when you said you were teaching online, I thought, gosh, how, I, you know, how is this possible? And yet yeah, it's, it's such a fantastic service because right now, if you are going through cancer treatment, you do not want to be exposing yourself. You know, you're immunocompromised just by nature mm. of the treatment. So it's great to, for yeah. them to be able to do yoga at home. So I think this is such a brilliant um, process that you've created of this intake verbally first, and then meeting them privately, getting to know their body, their needs, what they're looking for, what's going on for them. So that then when they're in this group setting with you, you know them each yeah. individually as well. Yes, yes. Great. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really important and that and that really helps. And, you know, things like, you know, just instructions, the cues that you give throughout the class as well. You know, in a traditional yoga class, you might say at the end of the class, roll onto your right side, you know, then come up to sitting after Shavasana. But in a yoga for breast cancer class, you know, it's will roll to whatever side is comfortable for you, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. you don't want them to roll onto a side of the body where they might have had, you know, surgery or might right. and you know, or might even have a, you know, maybe a pick line in their arm for chemotherapy or, you know, there's so much that, you know, it's important to be aware of. So you just have to adjust the way you say things as, as well as the the way you slightly modify the poses as well. Uh-huh. So it's not a drop in, right? Because you you have to do this intake process. So do you have them come to do do you sort of have them commit to four sessions or how do you, how do you how do you structure it that way? The way I structure it is that they have the one to one. The one to one is a complementary class. It's it's for me to get to know them and them to get to know me. After that one to one session, I ask them to sign up for six classes but those six classes can be taken over the course of a year so they've got plenty of time to take those so I don't expect them to come every single week there'll be weeks where they are feeling depleted and they won't want Mm -hmm. to come to yoga so you know that's absolutely fine um but yeah I just I like them to try and commit to six classes Mm -hmm. yeah that um, makes plenty of time yeah yeah so that's that's how it goes and yeah, at the moment I've got one weekly class on a Wednesday morning, every every Wednesday at 9.30. And um, yeah. And and what have you heard from your students? I mean, obviously it's a little bit harder to get 
the feedback because it's you don't have them right face to face at the end of class in person. But have you gotten any feedback in terms of how they're feeling or how it's affected them? I always love to to just hear yeah. those stories. Actually, one of the uh, one of my yoga students, I was actually able to do her one to one face to face, which was because she lived near me, and it was oh, it was it was just so lovely, and it was shortly after lockdown lifted, and she came to my home studio and I spent an hour with her doing her doing her one-to-one and there was something really really magical about it Mm. just I think just being face-to-face teaching she was the first person I'd taught face-to-face you know since everything closed down over here so for a start just being face-to-face with a student sensing her energy but also sensing her vulnerability and and being able just to be there for her it was really wonderful and she was a regular yoga practitioner before she was diagnosed and she didn't want to stop her practice um, during treatment and she actually found me um, she did a search um, yoga for breast cancer north london <laughs> and mm-hmm. found my found my website found my instagram i've got a few videos up on my website and on instagram of me teaching a few short classes or short sequences and she looked at those and they appealed to her so she got in touch and she's been practicing me with me you know throughout her whole treatment so um, she started before treatment started she just finished chemotherapy and about to go through radiotherapy and it's been lovely to be able to support her and I think she's now feeling closer also to be able to being able to taking on a slightly more demanding practice as well so I think she's looking at doing a more regular you know general practice mm-hmm. so that's been that's been amazing and I mean I have got I have got a little um kind of testimonial from her that I, I did ask some of my students just for my marketing purposes if they would just tell me what their yoga for breast cancer class meant to them yeah and so this particular student said to me She said the weekly yoga for breast cancer classes have been such an important partner to me during active treatment. They've kept me energized, flexible and strong in the body. I've also felt held mentally and emotionally by Marcia. Thanks to the huge amount of empathy she's able to provide having survived breast cancer herself. So, you know, I think that kind of sums up for mm-hmm. her what what her what her yoga for breast cancer practice yeah absolutely yeah. I'm just so happy that you're doing this I mean it's always so inspiring and it just I don't know it just fills me with happiness to meet people who where I feel I can feel that you're doing the work you're meant to do and I just feel that with you. And, you know, you've been on some of the content blueprint calls and your energy. Yes. I mean, the fact that she said, you know, the empathy and the space that you hold. I mean, I just think that this is such a perfectly aligned space for you to be in. So well, that's great. Yeah, I, I, I do feel that I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm, you know, really, really pleased to be doing it. Yeah. How do you feel about, you know, like I said, I mean, I think it's it's actually a great service that you're offering online because when people are immunocompromised, this is just not the time that they want to be out in the world. But do you feel like you might offer in-person 
classes for breast cancer soon? I know you teach regular classes in person right yes. now. Yes. But what, how do you I, think you, you see that in the future? Well, I've actually partnered with a breast cancer charity in London called Future Dreams. And they've just opened an amazing breast cancer support centre in the King's Cross area. And they are going to be holding regular yoga for breast cancer classes there and I've already taught a couple of classes there for them and when they fully open um, the plan is that I will teach there on a regular basis um, you know with with other yoga for cancer teachers as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that will be face to face I've also got my studio at home so I can now target and support people in my local area hopefully to support them face to face as well so yeah, maybe I'll come back to my original vision of being able uh-huh. to support people in my local area as well. But it's, I uh-huh. mean, you know, there are pros and cons to being online. Being online right. means I can access the whole of the UK. So, mm-hmm. you know, all that support all those people who who don't necessarily have a yoga for breast cancer class close by. Mm-hmm. And if you're going out to, to, to radiation every day and you want to come home and relax and have a nice soothing yoga class soothing at energy yoga class it's nice to be able to do it at home so yes exactly yeah, yeah. and not Without have having to, to get again. on public transport or right. you know, drive a car or whatever exactly you can do it from the comfort of your own home you can even do it in your pajamas if you want to you know? right right uh, yeah, <laughs> you don't have to, yeah you don't have to kind of dress up and go out do you so there is yeah there are a lot of benefits yeah, from, just from doing it doing it mm-hmm. online um, do you yeah. have any books that you can recommend either for um, people going through cancer or for teacher yoga teachers who want to teach sure yeah there's a few things that might be really interesting reading so when I did my teacher training so first of all um, I'd like to say I did my teacher training with uh, an amazing teacher called Vicky Fox who okay. was a yoga for cancer teacher trainer and she teaches at Try yoga in London. Um, she does the teacher training, but she also teaches yoga for cancer classes there. Also, Tari Prinster, who I think is a US yoga for cancer yeah, teacher. I've heard you of might, her. You might have heard of her. So her, she's produced a book called Yoga for Cancer, and her book is amazing. It goes into the science behind what you know how how yoga benefits. And alleviates the side effects of breast cancer. So it goes into it goes through all mm-hmm. the potential side effects of breast cancer, actually all cancers, not just breast cancer, all cancer treatments, and tells you why certain poses or certain breathing practices work so well um, to mm-hmm. reduce the the side effects. So her book makes really really good interest, uh, good reading, and that's Yoga for Cancer by Tari Prinster. Great. She also was involved with producing a white paper which summarizes all the research that's out there on the benefits of yoga for cancer. So that makes really, yes, you would be really interested in reading that. So you can go onto her website, which is y4c.com. Okay. And you can find, you can download the white paper. You can also find details of her book as well. So those, and there was one other book actually, because one of the popular side effects of treatment is osteoporosis Mm. so you know chemotherapy can 
reduce the bone density and um, also some of the hormonal treatment that you have for breast cancer can reduce bone density. So I found the book by Lauren Fishman and Ellen Saltonstall really helpful to, mm-hmm. to understand yoga for osteoporosis in a, in a bit more detail. So that's that really smart. Be, I, I would I really remember. recommend that as well. That's a great book. Yeah, that's a really well well sourced book. And obviously, Lauren Fishman is, you know, he, he's great. So, well, thank you so much. Is there, I mean, have I missed anything? I, I so appreciate your time and having you here. Oh, I really appreciate having the opportunity. Um, I think we only touched on some of the side effects of breast cancer treatment, but those books that I've recommended, the white paper particularly, you can just download, that goes into them in a lot more detail. And it does make some really interesting reading, certainly for yoga teachers who want to better understand the science behind teaching yoga for cancer. And yeah, and if you're London-based, go along to Try Yoga and sign up for a, a course if, you, if you're interested in teaching yoga to, to cancer students. Also, Tari Prinster, I've seen, actually does her training online. Uh, so you could be anywhere and do and do her online training. So there are opportunities out there if that's something, if that's an area that you want to just gain a greater awareness of or even specialize in. Yeah, absolutely. And I will put links to the books and everything you mentioned on the show notes page and also your website if people are interested in your, in your classes. Your website Thank is you. rc.yoga. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And then my Instagram handle is at yoga for breast cancer. Okay, great. All right. Well, thanks so much for being here and you stay well. Okay. I will. And you too. And thank you again for inviting me. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you today. You too. You too. Thanks so much. Okay. Take care, Andrea. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you will check out the show notes page today with those resources that Marcia offered. I will also put a link to Susan Love's breast book, which helped me a lot when I was diagnosed and it's often updated and I I do adore Susan Love. I hope this episode encourages all of you out there who want to teach yoga for cancer patients that you can do it and you can find a way to help people and hold space for people even during the pandemic. And for those of you who are overdue for a mammogram, you are not alone. The pandemic has made it really, really challenging for people to get their basic healthcare needs met. But I encourage you to persevere and make that appointment and make it happen. Okay? All right, everyone. Until next week, enjoy your practice. Mm-hmm.